Hey, y'all, we want to take a second here to go ahead and give a shout out to our favorite mortgage lender and the official lender of the Hunt Lifty podcast. That's Casey Burns. He's a mortgage broker with Prime Lending. I bought my house here in Colorado with Casey and I refinanced the property in Tennessee. And I was going to use Casey for that because I had such a great experience. And Casey told me, hey, man, like I'll be straight up with you. I can't. I can't match this other offer. So go with these other guys. Well, I went with those other guys and I regretted it. It was like a three month process for the refi. When I, when I bought my house here in Colorado, it was the easiest transaction for real estate I've ever had in my life. He handles everything. Like he has the heart of an educator, the heart of a teacher. And that's why we recommend him. I've known him for 10 years. I was best friends with his brother in college. I'm still good friends with Casey to this day. And we, we recommend him because of how good he is. So if you want to utilize Casey, give him a call, find out any information. Give him a shout at 919-710-1864. Or you can also reach him at email at casey.burns at primelending.com. And also go check out his website. Get all of his reviews at www.closewithkc.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt Lifty Podcast. Uh, we've been kind of MIA there for a while. And we're coming back at you guys. And we're going to just touch base, give you an update of where we're at this season. And kind of let you guys know uh, where we're going uh, going forward. But I'm here with uh, Perry, Carter, and Derek. What's going on, fellas? Not much, man. It's good to be back chatting with the boys. Derek, what's going on, brother? Uh, same, dude. Kind of, kind of stoked to uh, get back on here after a little uh, hiatus. Yeah, it's been a minute. We're gonna have to remember how to do this. Yeah, definitely. Real quick, let's just do like a quick introduction because um, I know we've got some new listeners. And folks that are just jumping on and haven't really listened to the background. So uh, we'll just start around the room. We'll start with Perry. Go ahead and kind of give you a little background and what you do here on the podcast. Yeah, uh, Perry Eisner, um, co-host of the podcast, Cousins with Luke. Um, unfortunately, that's how I got roped into this whole shindig. But um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm here in North Carolina. I uh, just got back a couple of weeks ago from my first ever Western hunt visiting Luke and Caroline and the new baby, um, which I'm sure we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, and other than that, I've been just kind of getting my feet wet into archery season whitetail um, here in North Carolina and Virginia. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Derek, what's up? Yeah, so I'm Derek. Uh, I make knives and i um, going to be moving into a new role on the podcast, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, here in a little bit. Uh, just been trying to chase some whitetail on my own property. Have been unsuccessful so far, but uh, looking to maybe get lucky here soon. And I'm Carter McKenzie. Um, I'm in the same boat as Derek, uh, moving into a new position here with the podcast. Somewhat frequent guest of the podcast, moving into new position, which we'll get into. And yeah, I just, same thing with me. I just got in from hunting whitetail less than an hour ago. And uh, saw plenty this evening and heading out to Wyoming with Luke later this week to go chase mealies in the mountains. Yeah, which I'm actually absolutely stoked about uh, heading down in a couple of days. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, we, we ended up having to take this hiatus uh, because of just life. Uh, Perry's schedule with his work and he's got two youngins uh, and his wife is, works as well. And with my schedule, with my work, um, I'm in the army and in command right now. So my schedule is pretty fucking crazy. And then also just had a newborn and everything else with hunt lift eat. So we just kind of needed to take a, a tactical pause with all the hunts and everything. And instead of just, we, we found ourselves rushing to just produce podcasts just to get them out there to meet our timeline. And I felt like we weren't actually uh, putting in the effort, the time and the diligence we needed to produce a good product. 
And so we decided to kind of revamp everything we're doing going forward. And that's where uh, Derek and Carter come in. And so we're bringing them on. Carter's going to take over all the production of the podcast for us um, and be our producer, which is going to free up Perry and I a lot and really me because Perry doesn't do anything. Um, so I won't have to edit. I won't have to coordinate. Like Carter's going to like handle and manage the pod. And then Derek is going to be handling basically the calendar for the guests and uh, be the coordinator um, for the pod as we're bringing new folks on. That's the other thing is we kind of just keep recycling a lot of the 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 same old folks, which is awesome because we have a good group of guys. But we also want to bring in new perspectives, new people. And now that we're kind of getting our you know our feet underneath us with how to do and manage and run a podcast, we want to start bringing on these guests. And so we've got. I think we've got four or five lined up and then we've got eight to 10 on the docket going forward. And uh, some people you may have heard of, some people you haven't, but it's, it's going to be awesome. And we're really excited about that going forward. But yeah, I mean, you guys can jump in and talk kind of what your thoughts on the way ahead is. Yeah. I mean, thrilled for the opportunity to try something new, right? Um, Producing a podcast is definitely not in my realm of expertise. I teach (laughs) high school social studies. So this will be a a whole new uh, realm for me to dive into, but I'm always looking to learn something new, learn a new discipline. And uh, my technology skills are like that of a 80 year old man. So this would be good to bring me, you know, ripping into the 21st century, get me caught up to speed. Um, and yeah, Derek and I talk pretty frequently now, so I'm looking forward to working, working closely with him and uh, moving forward with this podcast. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to like just uh, getting some new people on. Like Luke said, you know, we've, we've had a lot of the same guests on and, and they've been, great episodes but getting some uh some more experience from different areas around hunt hunting lifting and eating um and even some outside of those realms and just getting their perspective on on different things and having conversations is uh, i think what's really going to help drive the podcast forward yeah agreed and it's something that we've talked a lot about and with the with the uh the team the way it's structured right now and the various um areas of interest and areas of expertise that we have kind of built within the the team. It'll be good for, to, you know, use that kind of networking and, and bring in people like you say, Derek, not only that, that are, that are, you know, active in whether it be hunting, lifting, um, you know, nutrition, um, have ex- expertise in, in diet and, and eating and also other walks of life is something that has been a goal of the podcast from day one. Luke and I have talked about, and the reality was like he mentioned, um, I just didn't have a whole lot of bandwidth right now. He doesn't either with his with his crazy schedule and staring down the barrel of a uh, of a Europe trip before too long. So felt like a good time to make a change and stoked to have you boys on board. I'm looking forward to trying to get like a a vegan on here and just getting their perspective or just watching them burst into flames as we talk. I'm not, I'm not sure which. We'll, we'll just ply, ply Luke with like 30 beers before and just let him go at it on the podcast. Oh, man. <laughs> let yeah. me tell you something about you that you don't know. <laughs> oh, Is it Luke or the vegan? Neither one. Take your pick. <laughs> yeah, don't get me going on that fucking disease of a mindset veganism but anyways uh no i'm absolutely super stoked to have you guys on and it's actually like a huge weight lifted off me because it really was getting to the point where it was just like we were just rushing to get shit out and get podcasts out and i had to kind of like sit down and in my own head just be like look it's okay to like miss some weeks let's stop reset regroup let's go do some hunts we can get some fucking good content stories experiences and then 
you know, we'll just drop podcasts when we can. And then as we build back up with this, with the new, you know, you guys helping out, hopefully we can get back on the two podcasts a week with Tuesday tips and uh, the regular episodes on Thursdays. But if, if we can't get there for, you know, a couple months until the new year, like that's fine. Um, we'll just produce what we can when we can and get it out there for everybody. So, but I appreciate all of our listeners and everybody's patience. Uh, it means a lot. I've still been getting some great feedback on the podcast as we're getting new followers and new listeners in. And so, uh, that's very appreciated. And I love the feedback. I know these guys do too. I keep pushing it and forward it to them when I get the messages on Instagram, uh, please drop us a rating and review. Um, I know there's some ebb and flow with the podcast. Some are better than others, but we really are trying to make a concerted effort to continue to uh, improve it. So please continue to stick with us and roll through everything. But, uh, we can just go straight in and, and start doing a recap, of a couple of the hunts that we've all had so far. And, uh, we'll, we'll start with, uh, the hunt that Perry and I did to open the season with antelope. Perry, you want to kind of give a little recap on that? Yeah, where to start? Uh, it was a. We should probably was, start with you not bringing a fucking muzzleloader. <laughs> I knew that's. I knew that was going to come up very quickly. Yep. So I'm an idiot, and um, due to if, if, well, I did bring a muzzleloader. Actually, I brought my old bring a Remington muzzleloader. Muzzle that I, that hasn't, that I haven't shot in, in a long time. Um, the last, the last person to shoot it, I think was either Luke or Andrew maybe. And it hasn't been, it wasn't consistent. Um, we figured we'd bring it and see what happens. Long story short, the gun did not end up fucking working. Um, literally would not fire. (laughs) Oh, you don't say something you didn't test didn't work. Wow. It's like color me shocked. Yeah prepping your gear and doing rehearsals prior to fucking leaving for a test hunt. your like, gear. Yeah. Huh. I think we had yep. like four episodes actually on just that. Yeah, we, we definitely did. Should have gave him a fucking slingshot. <laughs> <laughs> so what'd you do? How'd you remedy the situation? Well, he fucking used mine. I borrowed Luke's. Yeah. And then borrowed, uh, borrowed Pete's, Pete's for, for one morning. Yeah. We were hot swapping mine the whole time. I would stalk, he would oh, stalk, damn. I would stalk, he would stalk. I blame that for why we didn't kill anything. It is what it is, man. Well, anyways, let's let's get past you not prepping for the hunt. All right, that's obviously going to be a lesson learned when we talk about some AAR comments, but let's go ahead and let's uh, let's just give me your perspective on coming out, your first Western hunt, your first trip to Colorado, at least as an adult doing hunting stuff. Um, what was it like? Yeah, it was... It was uh it was not my first trip to Colorado, but it was definitely my first trip in a long time and it was a different part of Colorado than really I'd ever seen before. So it was it was a uh, it was eye opening for sure, man. Um apart from not actually having a functional firearm with me, I had a blast uh for the what two and a half days that we that we really hunted. Um flew in on a Thursday we ended up hunting all day Friday, all day Saturday. We spent Sunday with our wives and the little cub, um, just you know, kind of doing some some touristy shit, which was fun. The girls, you know, they needed to to know that we still you know cared, and so we spent a day with them. And then we had a flight out Monday, um, like I don't know, one o'clock or something like that. So we got out and got out early Monday and hunted a little bit Monday morning. So two and a half. Uh, days of hunting and dude i mean the biggest the biggest takeaway was just how many fucking miles we logged which was awesome 
And, but it was just, you know, looking back, it was like, holy shit. I had a, I just had a brand new pair of boots, um, a pair of boots that I ordered for the Idaho hunt coming up here and used um, Colorado as a, as a great way to break them in. And you want to talk about fucking breaking in some boots. You do what? 35 miles in two and a half days or whatever it was. I think we did 40. Yeah. yeah 40. Great way to break in a pair of boots. So it was a blast, man. Learned a ton about antelope. I feel, I feel confident that I could go out by myself right now and hunt antelope. I don't feel confident that I would necessarily kill one, but I feel confident that I could actually go out and like put together a reasonable stalk or reasonable hunt um, on an antelope, which you know was something going into. I would have you know had zero experience, so I was basically kind of following Luke's lead. We had another guy that ended up coming out with us for a little bit that um, had a lot of good pointers. He had some experience. So that was, um, that was really cool to be able to have that quick progression. What, uh, what was like, the, what was the landscape like? Can you kind of set the scene for us a little bit? Fucking, with? Yeah, it was fucking deceiving as hell is what it was for me. So <laughs> I'm used to, I mean, you know how it is Carter around here. Um, you know, the, the topography we have is, is legit like in your face topography and the, on the Eastern mountains, that's where I grew up. And even where I am now and kind of in the Piedmont and where, you know, I've spent a lot of time, there's, there's still topography and it's, it's, uh, I, I don't know. It's, I guess it's more straightforward is what no I would surprises. say. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you know what it, you can see it on a map, you know what it is. You can kind of look at it from a, a Vista perspective, you know, look at, um, and, and you can kind of know what, what you're getting out there it was just so deceptive you're driving along the road looking at you know just hundreds thousands of acres of this land thinking man it's just really kind of you know uh nothing nothing to it um it does it's not necessarily flat but it kind of just has that appearance of you know being flat or or just really very little topo and then you get down into it and it's just like holy shit there is a a lot of up and down that you just would not expect just driving by it from the highway. Yeah. So uh, for those that don't know, and it just kind of took me by surprise when I came to Colorado, right? I, you always think of Colorado and you're thinking of like Breckenridge and Aspen and fucking, you know, the mountains. You don't think of over half of Colorado is plains. And so the way it's kind of described is east of uh, I-25, which is the interstate that literally bisects Colorado runs all the way up to Wyoming, down to New Mexico. Uh, east of that is the plains, and then west of that is the mountains. This is typically how it's – there's actually tags that – you like I have an elk tag now that's just east of 25. I can hunt elk in all of it, um, minus a few units. You know, so it's pretty cool. But it is, like Perry said, absolutely deceiving. Um, Carter, it looks a lot like what Wyoming does up where we hunt in central Wyoming. Um, it's rolling. It doesn't necessarily look rolling in parts you think it's and then there's a lot of ravines gullies canyons um there's way more elevation change than you would expect um the elevation that we were hunting was probably about five thousand feet which is crazy because it feels flat as hell and it's still two thousand feet higher than like the highest point where me and perry are from um but yeah it's it's pretty sweet um it's pretty cool um to get out and kind of see some different area and this was a new area that just opened this year and so there was a ton of fucking antelope in there. And that's why I learned a ton because last year when I killed my antelope doe, with my one tag in Colorado, 
I didn't really get to stalk because there was so many people. It was, you know, it was 5,000 acres or so, but there's probably 100 hunters, at least that's what it seemed like in there. And so the antelope were just running like crazy. There was no stalking. I just happened to have one run in front of me at you know, 280 yards and I shot her. So this time I was able to like spot and stalk. If I'd had a rifle, I would have tagged out in the first 10 minutes. And so I'm, even though we didn't tag out in that week of hunting where I hunted, I think five days, five of the seven days of the season or six of the nine or whatever. I don't remember the exact math for what that season was, but I hunted a lot and uh, did a ton of stalks with the muzzleloader trying to get within that, you know, hundred meters, which was proved to be extremely difficult, but we started getting a lot closer and getting shot opportunities. And I habitually was getting sub like right at 150, and, and it was cool. I would have not learned what I learned if I had had a rifle because uh, it would have been just like last year where the first day I went out, I shot an antelope with a rifle, and then, you know, it was over. So it was a great experience from my end as well. Yeah, so Perry, did you find those, like, those failed stocks to be, like, the most instructive thing that you did while you're out there? Because I remember when I was in Wyoming, that was – I probably blew 20 stocks before I got a chance to pull the trigger, and that's where you really learn, you know, how to use that kind of – topography and how to use those gullies and how to use those washouts to your advantage. Cause it, it was like, I was on a different planet when I went out there for the first time. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Because that was honestly, that was kind of the, the theme of the two and a half days. The conversation between me and Luke was that, you know, dude, if we had rifles in our hands, the amount of, the amount of antelope we would have had shots at was, you know, a ton, but we were, while it was so frustrating in on one hand to not be able to seal the deal and neither one of us tagged out on the other hand, we both felt like we learned so much by the fact that we were using a muzzleloader. We had to get in close. And like you say, all of those failed stocks, those, those close calls, those missed opportunities. It's what makes me think I, I was talking with, uh, with Evan the other day and, and we were talking about it and we were like, you know, cause Luke's going to be gone. Um, for this hunt next year. But I was telling Evan, I was like, man, if you want to fly out to Colorado, you know, we could all go, we could go stay with C, um, see the kid, take the families, you know, visit. And then you and I could sneak away for a couple of days to go hunt antelope. Um, I was like, dude, I, you know, I'm not saying we would kill antelope, but just based off of what I learned in those two and a half days, I would feel very comfortable going out there, taking him and feeling like we at least had a, you know, a, a chance at a, um, at, at punch and attack. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I feel. Like the first day I went out there, I missed one. I had a shot opportunity and, uh, just that one day of hunting, I hunted, I got out there by about noon cause I was, I had to work that day. I just left early and, uh, just fucking left and went to hunt and got my ass kicked. I mean, I jumped and spooked several fucking little groups of antelope just on my way into like walking into the unit where I felt like I needed to get to. And had I low crawled for 400 fucking meters to try to get to some at one point and thought I was going to like come up right on top of them. And I was still 800 meters away because like it's that deceptive on your depth uh, perception on how far away these animals are. And like the what's in between you and them, the, it's, the train is just so deceiving. Like there was multiple herds of over 20 antelope that I was trying to move in on. And I also learned like it's way easier to move in on, you know, one or two than it is to move in on like five, 10, 20 antelope because there's more eyes, which seems like a no brainer, but you kind of think like, Oh, I'll just stay low and crawl. But they, they just have laser vision. Um, absolute laser vision. Yeah. Ain't nobody, uh, thinking that you're the big brain here, Luke. So 
we knew you wouldn't figure that out. <laughs> well, I gotta say, it fucking surprised me that, um, like you pointed out, Luke, pretty early on, and we we didn't see it initially, but by the end of the the couple of days, it was very apparent that it's actually the does in the groups that you have to be when you're when you're when you are stalking multiple antelope. You know, if it's even if it's two or three bedded down, or if they're just kind of grazing, um, it's the does you have to really key in on. You know, used to used to whitetails. You know, yeah, does can pick you off, but everyone knows that like a mature buck is is the hardest whitetail to kill. But out there, the bucks are just kind of doing their thing, and the does are the ones that are on sentry duty. Yeah, what was wild to me is I started to notice that how they bedded down, they actually. Like, Derek, this is fucking crazy. They get into a triangle patrol base with each doe facing a different direction. And then, like, the buckle, if there's three does, the buck will be in, like, the center. Do yep. they also they, put their machine guns at the apexes? Uh, and they dig a slit trench, and they all shit in the middle right during the apple debrief. <laughs> but, like, for real, like, they, it's a triangle. Like, it is absolutely fucking crazy. Like, legit triangle. Like, I was looking at Perry, and I was like, I can't believe this. This is, like, they're the, legit pulling security all facing a different direction. Yeah, the three that I, the 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 closest uh, opportunity I have actually shot at one at like a hundred and I don't know what do we say it was Luke hundred and fifty seven yeah one fifty six uh, missed, um, but was belly crawling into these three that were bedded down. Dude, they were in that exact thing, and I, I just saw them bedded down in like this kind of triangle shape, and they were all kind of fake. I didn't think much of it. Well, after I stalked up on them, shot, missed, and then you know. They, they took off eventually and then went back to Luke and Luke and I were kind of talking about it. He pointed that out to me. I was like, holy shit, that is exactly what they were doing. They were each monitoring the different, uh, the different directions. It was fucking nuts, man. Well, and I think they have like a almost 360 field of vision. Like I think they can cover like 320 degrees of vision. So like when they're squatted up like that, you're not sneaking up on them, you know? And once you bust them, they're so damn fast. They just take off. I mean, that's their only defense. They're just leave. They're out of there. Well, it's crazy how, and when you watch them over the course of days and you kind of see, you can, you can literally see this. They, they just, they're fucking honey badgers, man. They don't care because they know they're faster than everything else that's out there. And like, they have no concern. I mean, yeah, like they're not going to let you just walk right on top of them, but it's like, they just, they just know that, like, yeah, if I need to get a thousand meters over there, I'll be there in four seconds. Like, it's not a yeah. problem. That that was they don't what give blew. A shit. They're, they're no. race cars. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it blew my mind the first day because we'd watch them like, you know, run across this this mountain line or this ridge top or whatever, and you're like, oh man, that was that was pretty cool. They just they booked it from there to there. I was like, you know, that's probably four or five hundred yards. They got there pretty quick, and then you range it, and it's like, holy shit, that was like a fucking quarter of a mile. And they did it in a matter of seconds. You know, it's just, it's unbelievable. I, I do want to point out that four to 500 yards and a quarter of a mile are the same thing, Perry, but your point is well, well received. I, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Yep. Now but, that I'm doing no, the math, fair enough. When you're, what, what Perry's getting at, he's 100% right. He just can't speak good. Is when you walk, like we oh, walked so much. Do you mean walking, speak you know? well? No, that was that was intentional. That's funny. I, mean. I don't believe you. I don't fucking believe you. Intentional. Every time I talk about Evan, I say he don't speak good. But simmer down over there, Derek. <laughs> so we walked this entire, like, damn near this whole unit. 
and uh, which it's about 8,000 acres or so. And when you know the distance and like how long it takes our fucking dumbasses to walk and you see these antelope cover the ground so quickly, you're just like, fuck, man. Like, it's crazy how it's deceiving because they don't look like they're that fast, but they can just move. But and also to Perry's point with the honey badger, what I've noticed, I would sit up high and one of my tactics started to be that I would just watch the other hunters move in because a bunch of the hunters like to get where the herds were in the low ground. And I didn't like that at all because you just can't get get to them. And those they would just run in circles just around the hunters, just like not giving a fuck in this low ground. And then eventually they would move up into the into the higher ground, which is where I primarily hunted, hunting like ravine to ravine. Um, across there because you could get a lot closer to them on the stalks but yeah they just they wouldn't like book it out of dodge they just kind of ran in circles eventually after about a week of this season we started to see them really get pushed out of the uh, out of the unit um, over to across the highway to where it was you could, it was public but you still couldn't hunt it uh, it's state trust land in Colorado is weird but yeah it's a it's a cool fucking spot. I, I really hope that that spot going forward still maintains the antelope numbers because that would be a hunt I would do every single year going forward. Did y'all just have buck tags? I had a buck and a doe, and then Perry had a buck. But honestly, in that unit, it's going to be with a muzzleloader. Bucks like, all, like you're going to have a better chance of killing a buck or anything. For me, being in state, it's forty bucks a tag. Like, why not have as many tags as possible? But if you're coming out of state and it's four hundred dollars, like just come with a buck tag. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to spend a full what was the season loop? Nine days, eight days, something like that. I think it was nine. Yeah. If you're going to spend the full nine days or, you know, if I was going to, uh, I might consider getting both, but, um, yeah, I mean, for out of state, we just went with the buck and I mean, I was impressed, man. We saw some, I mean, I don't know that much about, uh, you know, antelope, um, and sizing classification, you know, eight, you know, all that, but there was seemed to be some pretty, pretty decent bucks in there. There were some wall hangers for sure, man. I mean, I don't know either. Like, I can't. I can look at a, a white tail and tell you, even a muley, and tell you roughly what that thing might score in inches. Like, I, I know a seventy pluser is a big fucking antelope, but I couldn't tell you the difference between a fifty pluser and a seventy pluser. So, um, but there were some ones that I would have put on the wall, full mounts for sure. The one that I missed, I probably would have, and then the one that I could have shot in the highway was behind it. Um, I was up real high and there was a highway and I went to pull up and like behind the antelope I saw a truck and like it's a muzzle loader it was pretty fucking far it probably wasn't going to be any issue and maybe in hindsight I should have take pulled the trigger but I decided not to that was a rough one and then I had another one where I had them so they uh they j-hook a lot and so when you spook them they'll actually run and then j-hook around and come back and so I spooked some and then spooked them again it's hard to describe this but then they ran around me and they came back. So I dropped into the prone. This was the day before Perry got there. And it was uh, a buck and three does or four does, three or four. And they ran like all in a row facing me. And I had them at 110. And I should have fucking shot the thing just dead on. But like, I don't know, there's something about like Eastern whitetail hunting. Like you just, you always want to wait for that perfect shot broadside. And I'd already missed the one, so I was kind of in my head about the muzzle loader and like, did I miss it because it was a snapshot, just throwing it up off shoulder attack? I would press an IV line and he was right there and I jumped him. I can tell that story later, but um, I kind of second guessed myself and was waiting for him to turn broadside. But by the time they all turned, they all turned at once. And so then it was just a jumble mess of five antelope all together. I didn't want to sling it around into them, but 
I had some shot opportunities, so I can't get mad. It was a, and then and obviously Perry said he missed the one, and, and he had a got within 156. Probably could have gotten closer in hindsight. It's hard to tell though, and you're you're, you're stalking in on on them. You're low crawling. You're getting covered in cactus. I still have cactus in my fucking hands. Like it's been three, four weeks now. So uh, it's a it's a hell of a hunt. It's fun. It's very engaging. Uh, it's just nonstop action. It's just you're walking to stalk, walking to stalk, walking to stalk, walking to stalk. It's a lot of fun. It really is, and. And to your point, and this is something I would do differently, and I don't know what your uh, experience has been like in Wyoming, Carter. But you bring a muzzleloader? Well, <laughs> yes, I would fucking bring a muzzleloader. <laughs> One that actually works. I would do that. Um, <laughs> beyond that, I definitely should have tried to get uh, get closer to that, that one that I missed it at 156. Um, there was very little. Like the, the unit had cattle in it so there was very little um like actual tall grass there were a few little patches of of taller grass here and there that the cattle for whatever reason didn't get to but by and large the vast majority of this eight thousand acres was was grazed pretty well so like you're low crawling in on these things and they were bedded across the ridge and it was crazy because like as i was crawling up the first, you know, I was crawling and crawling and, and Luke and I had, before we even got to the point where we started crawling, we were coming up this, you know, right to this IV line. We felt like we were relatively close and started, you know, low crawling up on them. And after crawling through all that cactus and all that shit for, you know, what felt like a long time, I was like, all right, I'm going to pop out the rangefinder, see how close I am. Expecting to be like, you know, 120 or 130. And it was like fucking almost 200. And I was like, Jesus. <laughs> Like I still got a fucking long ass ways to go, <laughs> but, uh, in hindsight, definitely should have gotten closer. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's what, uh, what you found anything similar in Wyoming quarter. Oh yeah. It's, it's deceiving, man. I think I took my first like panicked shot at like a standing at three eighteen. I like thought I made this amazing stock in on him and then like stood up to make my shot, ranged it. <clears throat> I was like 318. Jesus, I just low crawled for like 50 years. Like, how is this thing not right in front of me? And then it saw me. So I shot into totally missed, 100% missed. One of the, <laughs> one of the best for the cactus, though, like one thing I learned after that first trip was like big, like leather gloves, like heavy duty leather gloves makes a difference out there. And then a lot of guys will bring knee pads too. Um, but oh, yeah, leather, knee pads. leather gloves instead of, uh, like just regular hunting gloves. Like I brought yeah, my synthetic. white gloves, and I'm still I, tonight. I was still pulling cactus needles out two years later. So, yep. yeah, I didn't, I had the knee pads luckily, but I did not, uh, have any fucking gloves. I think you had some of your truck that you offered me Luke, but I just went, I just went with no gloves. It's fucking hot. And we were knew we were going to be walking all damn day. We, you know, we were going to be out there literally all day. And so I was just like, ah, I'm not going to fool with gloves. And in hindsight, like you say, might've been worth it. After I got my hand covered in the cactus, I was like, I'm, I'm wearing the gloves. So I put them on. And I tried to like Spider-Man it on my knees. So like the only thing touching the ground was like my hands, my knees, and like my feet. And like my chest was like just barely dragging. So I was not getting – because I got it like on my fucking beer gut. I had cactus needles at one point on a stalk. Like, it was terrible. But there's some good tactics to use. So we can kind of get into like some of that, some of our experiences and lessons learned. So – when Perry's earlier, he said IV line. So for those that don't know that term, it's intervisibility line. And so when you look 
on the horizon and you can see the edge of some topography. That's the IV line. So that's, it's the line that you're behind and nothing on the other side of that can see you. And so when you're antelope hunting, it's all about IV lines, especially in the wide open country. And especially if you're in an area that's grazed, like where we were, where there's very little sage, uh, no high grass. Like the best we got for cover was, was it the yucca, the yucca plants. Is that the term for it? Yucca. Yucca, the yucca plants. Um, and so, and those were only, those were only spotty. They were only really prevalent on a few ridges. It's not like they were throughout the entire close. Yeah. The ridges closest to the water points is really yep. where the, uh, um, that is. And so it's, it's just, it's wide open. So you're, you've got to use the terrain. And so it's all hunting IV lines to IV lines. And so you've got to pick your routes. So I would suggest getting high, which is what we did. Um, not like Colorado weed high, but it's like physically get high up on the ridges and then glass down. And then if you find the, you know, antelope, now look and try to pick out a route on your way using the low ground and stay in the low ground. You still got to play the wind. Antelope use their eyes more than their nose, but they still have noses that are about comparable to deer. So they have really good noses. They just don't rely on them like, like white tails or even mule deer do. Um, obviously keep the wind in your face stay in that low ground and as you're cresting iv lines literally like take a step and glass and glass the the iv line you're looking for like ears and horns and then take a step and glass it like if you're moving if you feel like you're moving the right speed you're moving too fast slow down it should be painfully slow when you're moving in on these things and if you can pick the antlers out or the horns out or the ears first then you drop now you've got some time. You can kind of walk low and you want to like keep glassing to where you see those so they can't see you because you, you got to be very cognizant of where their eyes are. So I'm telling you, like I had a group pick me out. The only thing they could see is the top of my fucking orange hat. Like that is it. Um, and, and they still, I mean, they still picked me out and I, I bumped them. And like I was being very slow and deliberate. And then eventually you're going to want to drop down and start like walking low and then kind of baby crawling and then low crawling. If you can get behind a sage bush or the yucca plants, what I would do is I would line those up. And so I would get those in between me, even if they were far off. And so I would crawl to that yucca plant and then find another one and kind of shift off and then crawl to the next one and then keep the yucca between me and the antelope. And I mean, I was consistently able to get within 200. Um, I did that I don't know, probably fucking 30 times. I just couldn't close. We decided it needed to be sub 150 before we were going to, I was really like 130 with where I was feeling about with my muzzleloader. Yeah. If you can, if you can stack those yucca plants and that vegetation, that's a great tactic. But along those lines with the, with the IV uh, point is, and this is something that bit us in the ass, Luke. Um, it's not even just when you're, when you're stalking or when you're approaching, because obviously that, that makes sense, but it's really, it's something that you it's have walking. to be, you have to be, it's, it's, it's a hundred percent of the time you have to be cognizant of because this terrain is so deceptive. And that's so like, what that means is it's not only deceptive to us, but it's also deceptive to the, the, the critters, the antelope and everything else that's on the landscape. Right. And so these IV lines are, they can be a blessing and a curse. And so an example is when you have to, why you have to be cognizant of them the entire time that you're hunting is Luke and I were crossing a fence at one point and we were kind of up on near, near the top, not the very top, but like kind of, 
I don't know, two thirds of the way up this kind of uh, pretty long ridge. And there's this fence line. It was near a water hole. And we stupidly both kind of crossed the fence at the same time. And with the muzzleloader on the ground where, and there was an IV crest. Where if just we had on two muzzleloaders, we might've had a shot at this thing, but <laughs> there was an IV, there was an IV, a little, a little dip just on the other side of this fence, probably, you know, I don't know. Well, within a hundred fucking yards. Yeah. 80 yards away. And so there's this little kind of draw that goes down and unbeknownst to us, there was an antelope moving up that thing. And it literally crested the top of the, the top of the little ridge, right. As we were crossing the fence and had we, had we like realized that, Hey, there's something there and we actually need to be like hunting right now instead of just putting the gun down and, and crawling under this fence. Um, this fucking buck, he wasn't a, a stud by any stretch, but he was a shooter, at least for me, uh, walked literally right up on top of us almost. I mean, fucking 80 yards, 90 yards stood right broadside, stood there for a couple of seconds, did not give us time to, to grab the gun and take a shot. But had we been ready, could have been a different story. Yeah, it actually got to the point, and we talked about it, and it, it sounds kind of silly, but it's you know, kind of how my brain works with the background, but I was just like, we're going to start pulling security, like, especially since we only had one weapon. When one guy, when we got to a fence, if we needed to cross it, like, hand the muzzleloader off, one guy's, like, scanning, looking at the horizon, and pulling, like, not really security, but you know what I mean? Like, you're actually, like, hunting, looking for animals. The next the guy crawls under, hands the weapon off, that guy picks it up, and then we kept doing that as we went. Ideally, you have two fucking guns, and then you can each do that as, you know, you hand it off or whatever, but uh, being safe as you're crossing fences. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great point. Like, they, they do. You will you will just cross an IV and just come up on top of them. It happened to me several times the first day I was hunting when I didn't really understand that I, like, as you're crossing an IV, an IV line, you should be, like, taking a step, scanning, taking a step, scanning, even if you don't know they're there, and just looking and clearing those IV lines visually as you're crossing them. Did you guys consider using a decoy at all? Yeah, so we kept talking about it. Um, one of my buddies, uh, actually one of my squad leaders, who I've, uh, uh, Glover, he came out and helped us. He had hunted in um, during archery season, and a couple of the guys that he saw were using them, and they he said they weren't very effective, and so I kind of wrote it off. But in hindsight, I really wish I had bought one um, because I, I don't think that – they work in the way that some people think they do in the fact that you can just like walk up on, you know, that stroll up, like, you know, and get, you know, right on top of an antelope. What I think it does is it gives you an extra, an extra bit of time. So if you're holding that in front of you, as you're crossing that IV line, if you come up on one, instead of it, like seeing you, you seeing it, you both being startled and then it takes off, it's going to get, it's going to like try to figure out what the fuck's going on. And then it's going to go. Um, with a rifle, I don't think I would fuck with one because, I mean, it's just rifle distance. But if you're muzzleloader hunting or bow hunting, I, I think it would definitely be good to have in the toolbox. And if I do that hunt again, I will 100% have probably one of the ultimate predator decoys. Uh, my little idea for it was, so for folks that aren't familiar, it looks like a shield where you're looking dead on at an antelope or they have, have them for elk and deer and everything else. But if you got one for an antelope, you can also get one for a cow, which I think I might even do a cow for that unit because there's so many cattle. And I know a couple times, dude, that last morning when I got in there and I was in the cows, like, dude, that would have been money yep. if we had had a cow decoy. And maybe you have both. One guy has a cow, one guy has an antelope. Like, I don't know. They're not like a hundred bucks each, so I mean, they're not cheap. But um, I mean, you probably have them for a while. 
but if you took one with one of the uh, monopod uh, shooting sticks and you could, and since you don't have a bow, if you're going to do it with a muzzleloader, I was thinking you could attach it to the shooting stick. And so you're walking with it and then you can just shoot through it where the bow slit is um, with the muzzleloader that way, which would be kind of cool. But I tested that out. That was just my thought for it. It'd be worth trying it out next season, especially if it's close to your house and all about experimenting anyways. They're pretty naturally curious animals anyways. The the one I shot, I stopped it. I, after I spooked it, I'd whistled like as high-pitched and loud as I could. Then it stopped, J-hooked, went broadside, and then I shot it there. So, I mean, they're just curious little, little animals, man. I think it'd, it'd be worth trying out. Yeah, I think the time of the year has a big to do with it as well right if you're hunting you were hunting in october right it was october yeah so it's a little closer to the rut versus september when we were hunting yeah uh they were a little less we tried we tried the white like waving a game bag we had a found a big piece of trash styrofoam that was blowing through the pasture we grabbed it and it never seemed to really work i did have them get curious and well i don't know if it was curious or if they just were just running and jay hooking because that's kind of what they do but when I had them come in, when I had those frontal shots that I should have fucking taken. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're forgiving in some ways and then absolutely not forgiving in others. Like, it's not like a whitetail where it's going to jump and it's going to be gone. It's going to run to the next county. You're never going to see that, you know, animal again if you jump it like that. You, you can hunt the same group of antelope repeatedly. It'll just run to the next IV line, the next ridge. And you can just, fuck, all right, I guess I'm walking another mile. And like, just keep going after them. But yeah, it makes them a blast and infuriating. <laughs> well, it, it really does. And and that honestly might be the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest takeaway that I had is that if you want to, to really learn how to antelope hunt, just fucking tell yourself, you're going to have to walk a shit ton and get out there and chase them because that is the best way to do it. I mean, I know there's, there's units and there's places out there where you can, do a lot of truck hunting and I'm sure there's a whole lot of um, early season antelope that have been killed out of blinds over water holes. And that's a great strategy, but getting out there, logging the miles and like say bumping them and then stalking them again, and then using the the terrain, seeing how they respond. I mean, it re- they really are fucking honey badgers, man. They, they will just do these seemingly random movements they they don't use the terrain how you would expect an animal to use the terrain because they just know they're faster there than everything out there but if you just have the mindset that you're going to be persistent and you're just going to walk and walk and keep you know taking swings then um, i think you can really learn a lot about antelope yeah absolutely no doubt i mean the first last year my first antelope hunt i killed that doe so all i had was a doe tag i walked 15.2 miles um Every day I hunted this year, I walked a minimum of 10 other than the, we walked about five that morning. We hunted five or six somewhere in there. Uh, the last yeah, morning cause we only hunted a, for a couple hours. Less than a half day. Yeah. That was yeah, a lot of walking. From, hunted from daylight to, to, you know, 10 AM. Um, and you know, I low crawled fucking 800 meters that day, but we had a 20 mile a day. We had a 15 mile a day, multiple, I had multiple 10 mile days before Perry got there. Like, you got to log it. Um, and people are afraid of that. We, we had the, uh, fucking, uh, game warden stopped us, um, one day and was just checking, you know, licenses and everything, which I always still get a little 
nervous, which I don't understand why, because I don't do fucked up shit anymore. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he's just Johnny Laws there. You get a little, uh, oh, yeah. But uh, everything was good. And, and we just, at first, he was kind of standoffish, but we just kept kind of bullshitting with him. And, uh, yeah, he opened up and we started talking a, a little bit and was giving us a couple little tips. And then he, he started talking about that everybody wanted uh, a parking lot right off, like in the center of the unit, right off of the, uh, the main highway. highway. Yeah. And, and he was like, yeah, I just, you know, I don't know. And I was like, no, I, I was like, I, I think I was like, you guys have enough parking lots. I think it's perfect. You have a parking lot on the North side and then the East and the West side. And then the South side's the highway. And some people want to figure out which unit I'm talking about now, but like, it's, I think it's awesome. And because, and I think it's even better because after hunting there damn near every day of the season, I know that very few of those hunters are going to walk as much as I'm willing to walk or Perry's willing to walk or like some of the other guys uh, that we're out there with. And so I think I love walk-in units because I think it gives you an advantage. Uh, it's not to say that there's, I mean, there's some hardcore guys out there that will walk. Um, but I mean, I saw it and I've seen it in Colorado on, in elk units, but there's guys way back there. But um, I, I do think that, that that's kind of a a good thing for, for guys that are a little more hardcore that aren't afraid to walk a 20 mile day to, to, and then aren't afraid to pack out an antelope, you know, fucking seven miles from the truck. Well, and it's also a good thing if you're just like I was in the position where you're just starting out, right? And you you walk into this this hunt literally not knowing anything. Uh, it was my first Western hunt ever, first antelope hunt, first hunt um, in any sort of terrain or geography that resembled anything like that. And so I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But after two and a half days of crawling around all over that unit, and we, we got out and, and uh, drove to a couple of other units and kind of scoped them out um didn't seem too promising but i mean just getting out there and getting after it and logging the miles and you know taking those swings and what turned out for us to be to be misses but that's the way for a new hunter you know or or a a, a hunter uh in a new situation like that that's that's the best way to learn i mean if you think about it too people are inherently lazy so the more you can distance yourself, get away from those trails, get away from the parking areas, like the better off you're going to be. The more animals you're going to see, just that's just the way dude, it is. Dude, I can't tell you how many guys we saw walking back to the truck at like nine thirty, ten o'clock, and you know, and they it's not like they'd gone to the middle of the unit or across like the entire unit, like they'd gone in, you know, a mile and you know, scanned, watched glass for a while, maybe put a stalk, and then. They're walking back to the truck at like 10 o'clock when it starts to get a little warm. And it's like, that's not going to get it done. <laughs> that's when the antelope like start to bed down and you're going to have the best chance of moving in on them is when they're bedded. Yeah. And so like guys are just, they quit. I mean, every day when we, by the time we got back to the trailhead to get some refill on water, maybe have some lunch uh, for, you know, a quick 30 minutes and then head back out. Um, you know, you might be, there might be four or five trucks at the, the trailhead. And then by the time we get there, we're the only one every day, every day. Um, I'd say no other hunter put the fucking, actually, I, I know for a fact that no other hunter put the time in that I did during the season for muzzleloader. So I was there damn near every day. Um, and nobody else was there for the hours I was. Now, granted, it didn't pan out. But like I said, at the front end of this, I learned so much more than I would have if I had a rifle because I jumped a very fucking nice uh, buck up in the first 10 minutes of my hunt on the first day. I pushed him out of a bed. 
he ran to 100 or not 110 he ran to 210 yards and i would have shot him with a rifle that uh, first that first stalk man my first morning the one that cheney fucking bumped out <laughs> oh my god that, that was a nice buck man that was a really solid buck he would have been like, dead we're with gonna a get rifle. that one together that one was gonna like the topography was perfect it, it was all laid out and with the rifle he was it was he was done but we, even with the muzzle loader we had a we had a what felt like a a really good setup and um <laughs> they get up out of no so let me set the stage for this one this is a funny story mike cheney he's, he's gonna be on the pod he's actually we've already recorded the episode i just haven't edited it yet so he'll probably be on later in the season when i actually post it but great guy brand new to hunting uh did his first uh, his first hunt was a <laughs> mule deer archery hunt in arizona over the counter i was like dude that is a very rough first hunt uh <laughs> ballsy uh but he actually had some stalks and got got uh had potentially some shot opportunities if he got a little closer but anyways he's out there with us he happened to just be driving through on the way to a bachelor party stopped in spent the night next morning went out with us for a few hours and we got some in the bed in the morning um moved in on them i mean the topography could not have been better so basically it was like a, a some micro terrain kind of rolled up and there was a saddle. So if you rolled behind this one ridge, you could have come up the saddle and been literally like low crawled on top of them. It probably would have been like a 40 to 50 yard shot of them in the bed. The wind was on our face. Like it was perfect. And I told Mike, I was like, all right, you stay here. We're going to go forward. We start creeping forward. I'm glassing for Perry. He's got the uh, muzzle loader and I'm telling him like, I'm, I'm glassing telling him like where to move how to move like and like we're pushing forward slowly and like all of a sudden <laughs> they all stand up and take off and like when i'm glassing like i'm like on my knees taking like crawling on my knees and then standing up slowly creeping over the iv line glassing seeing them dropping back down so there's no way they're seeing me i look behind us as these things take off and fucking cheney's dumbass comes like bumbling up and he's like all right, dude. I'm like, what the fuck? He's like, oh, they didn't see me. There's no fucking way they saw me. I was like, they don't just fucking get out of their bed and start moving, dude. Like you a hundred percent push these damn antelope out. He's like, no, 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 it wasn't me. No way they saw me. <laughs> fucking Mike, man. A hundred percent. They saw you, buddy. Hate to break it to you. <laughs> yeah, they did for sure. But we, uh, we got close kind of. It was a fun trip, man. I had a blast. I would definitely do it again. Hell, I might do it again next year, even if you're not there. I might fly the kids out, let uh, let the girls hang out, let the kids hang out, and I might go go get after it again. I'll bring a muzzleloader with me this time. Y'all sure, women man. folk rear the youngins. I'm gonna go kill something. That's right. Well, with, on, on the note of you bringing a muzzleloader, which obviously would be the first step um, for the, uh, we'll do a quick little AAR on muzzleloaders, uh, which. Jesus, after action review, hot wash, it's shit, you know, just after you do something, you just kind of figure out lessons learned is essentially what it is. And so um, I did a lot of research as I was sitting there because I just was not super, one, I'm not very comfortable with muzzleloaders. I've shot at an animal three times with a muzzleloader. I've killed one and completely missed two. And, and I don't do that with a rifle. So I try to figure out like what is going on. And when I look at the commonalities between my two misses, um, it's really not knowing my point of aim, point of impact at distance beyond that hundred yards zero. Um, 
And so one was with a scope, and I was back home in Virginia on a whitetail at 150 and some chains. I think it was 157, something like that. And the other one was, I don't even know the distance. I, I was, I had spotted a buck, moved into stalk it, uh, used the IV lines perfectly, went in my face, did everything right, came up and like didn't see it. Second guessed myself, thought maybe like I was on the wrong ridge coming out of the, uh, the ravine. And I pulled out my phone to check my onyx and then looked up and the fucking buck was standing right in front of me at, I don't know, very close. And then in, as I dropped my phone, he like did grab the muzzleloader. He turned and I just, just, you know, threw a snapshot off shoulder and shot clean over him. Cause I think I held too high because I think he was, I think I held high thinking he was past a hundred yards. And I think he was actually within a hundred yards after I walked it out. And so really knowing where you're, weapon shoots at distance and some of that is like time and time management and getting your muzzleloader early enough which pete didn't do i didn't get mine either and then perry obviously just didn't get one and is uh, shooting at those different distances right like can you shoot like where like if you're zero at 100 okay let me shoot at 50 so where am i hitting at 50 where am i hitting at 150 where am i hitting at 200 and actually like having your dope sheet and understanding and also looking at like your iron sights. And so I did a lot of research on iron sights for muzzleloaders. Um, I have like the typical just fiber optic, the ones that come on. I have a CVA Optima is the muzzleloader I have, 50 caliber. And Colorado, you can't use um, any scopes. Uh, you also can't use Sabo rounds. You can't use uh, anything but loose powder. There's like all these restrictions, different Western states have these restrictions. And so like, you got to learn those regulations, but then with the iron sights, they make a, uh, so your first, your front sight post is a crosshair and then your rear sight post is a ghost ring. And so it's a lot more precise than your typical fiber optic sights. Cause at 150 yards, when you put a fiber optic sight on an antelope, it covers up the whole fucking animal, um, which is for somebody, and I know Perry's the same way, we like to take pretty precise shots. We like to make sure that we're you know, doing our diligence to ensure uh, that we're going to kill this animal in one shot. It doesn't give you the most warm and fuzzy. I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't shoot that frontal shot on that antelope that I had at 110, because the front side post like literally went beyond its fucking chest. <laughs> and so you're like, Jesus. And so like having a, like, you know, upgrading your optics, um, even with even if they're iron sights, shooting them, practicing them, shooting them at distance, knowing all your dope, like that is huge for giving you the confidence and knowing what you're doing going in, and then not hot swapping rifles because a lot of people don't realize this. So on a scope, the scope is zero to the gun. Uh, when you're using iron sights and it's a, it's two points, right? So a rear sight and a front sight, that's zero to the shooter. Um, typically, if it's zeroed, like most people, it's going to be within the realm of um, being able to, you know hit target however my like cheek to stockwell my sight picture is different than perry's and so if he's shooting my iron sights it's going to be a different zero than me shooting my iron sights if that makes sense yeah it's something that is worth keeping in the back of the old noodle there because like the shot that i missed at at 156 or whatever it was it's like you say that that front sight was was covering up uh a good portion of that animal, you know, he was broadside. Um, but it's like, you're kind of, and, and having never, I mean, that I hadn't, hadn't shot that weapon. You say it was a different zero. So it's basically just making a, you know, an educated and it, you know, 150 some yards is not that, 
it's not that crazy of a shot or anything. It's a shot that I feel could definitely be made, but it's, you know, it's not like, it's, it's like you say, it's not like it gives you that, that, uh, that confidence when you're actually sitting there behind the, behind the gun, ready to squeeze the trigger. Um, and, you know, thankfully it was a, it was a clean miss for me, you know, so didn't have to worry about, you know, wounding an animal or anything like that. But, uh, those are all good reminders, good things to be aware of, particularly if you are hunting a state like Colorado with a muzzleloader tag that has some of those restrictions. Um, I know Idaho is the same way with their muzzleloader, um, like for elk, uh, thinking of that, you know, they want you to use the more traditional style muzzleloader. Um, so all, all good reminders to have in the back of the head there. Well, I think, you know, it goes back to what we've talked about and we know it. And I think it's in, it's important to highlight when we fuck up, right? Because, like, and I make fun of you for not bringing a muzzleloader. Why is zero by muzzleloader two fucking weeks prior to the season? So it wasn't like I was out there getting all my dope and, like, doing my due diligence. Um, I was better than you, but I wasn't good. You know what I mean? And so so we got to be deliberate and diligent about that. And it's it's hard work, life, kids, all that gets in the way, you know, crazy schedules. But you've got a plan and it's got to be a deliberate effort to prepare for your hunts, making sure that your weapons are zeroed and firm and zero and making sure that, you know, like if you're traveling, like building in time for the travel on the flight. So you can confirm zero when you get off that fucking plane, because if my bow case and my, like my bow zero was fucked. Um, when I got to Virginia for our whitetail hunt, totally fucked. I was shooting at 20 yards. I was missing the target to the right because when they went through my shit at TSA, they crammed all the stuff that was in my case, like very deliberately directly on my dropaway rest is. And so it actually shifted it. And so like my whole tune, everything went off and it was like really frustrating. If I hadn't tested that and shot it in it, you know, a deer, like I might've shot it like directly through the hindquarter. Um, so, you know, or completely missed. So you gotta, you, we gotta confirm that stuff. We gotta build that into our timelines. We gotta make sure that we're doing our diligence on the front end to make sure we're prepared for the hunt. And it's easy to let those little things slip, and it's easy to not do it or like wait to the last minute and try to cram through it and just you, you, you go for good enough instead of actually good. And so I think that's a, a really valuable lesson. Yeah, you can't get really upset about the results that you get from the work that you didn't put in. Hundred percent. Should be on a t-shirt. Mark that down. Carter, you got any quick lessons learned on antelope just from your hunt that you can kind of chime in and, and toss into this one for the folks out there that might be considering going out west and chasing speed goats? Nothing that hasn't really been said uh, already. Um, just as long as, I mean, you can't get in your head kind of like you were saying. You're going to blow stocks, especially if it's your first time doing it. Um, but if you look at them, each of them as, as learning opportunities, I felt like we got a little bit better each time we blew a stock. Um, and our, our confidence actually kept going up cause we kept, you know, changing our scenario each time, uh, and adjusting until, you know, we tagged out, uh, in two days. So, um, it's a, it's a really, they're really cool animals and it's a really great animal to start out on. Um, I think Perry, you're, I hope you're hooked. They're just so cool, man. There's, there's nothing like them. Um, and it's a, the barrier for entry is really low for people. Uh, who want to get into Western hunting, Antelope is a great place to start. Um, and if you're willing to put some miles on the boots, uh, you can have a real fair shot of, of making it happen. I would suggest, well, I would say if you want high efficacy, try a rifle. But if you want better opportunity and less pressure, go with a muzzleloader. 
but just do what we told you to do as far as the sites and then know your dope from 200 down to 50 on where you're hitting. And for antelope, I would suggest a 40 caliber instead of a 50 because it's going to drop less. Because I just got a 50 because it's good for elk in Colorado or uh, antelope. But in hindsight, as cheap as muzzleloaders are, I should have just bought two separate ones. I was thinking about that. It would be interesting to go back out there during rifle season and see how much more pressure that unit got during rifle. Did you ever, did you ever drive out there at all during rifle Luke? No, I can tell you it's higher. I mean, look at the pressure we saw when we got to the weekend just for the yep. muzzleloader tags Yep. Um, with rifle it would have been even higher. And that was a unit, especially by then. Um, so the cat's kind of out of the bag on this, um, not the unit, but the, the actual tract of land. Um, it was, this was the first year it was open. So state trust land in Colorado is different than most uh, states. Most states, state trust land, you can just hunt. Like state land is the same as BLM or that, you know, National Forest, whatever. Colorado, it's not. Uh, you can actually not ho- hunt the majority of state trust land. And the entire east, like all the public land in the east is state trust land. There's like a little bit of BLM ground, but it's very, very uh, sparse. And so there's a big initiative in Colorado to open up a lot of the state trust land to hunters. And so I, there's, um, I think the goal is a couple million acres or maybe it's a million. I can't remember the whole thing. And every year they're opening up more and more and more. And so this one was the first year it was opened up on Onyx. It was still showing as not being able to hunt until one day before the muzzleloader season, which was pretty cool because very few folks, I think, realized it. And then by the time the rifle, you know, Onyx already showed it as that you could hunt it. And so that was kind of a little hack there that we were able to kind of sneak in with very low pressure in an 8,000 acre unit. I don't think that's going to be the case going forward. I think most people probably got pretty frustrated with the muzzleloaders, um, which is good. Uh, muzzleloaders kind of suck. <laughs> so I think if you can actually build your competency with a muzzleloader and especially an open site muzzleloader and be able to be comfortable taking a shot at maybe up to 200, um, if that's like the gold standard, if you can, because if, if, if we get them in at 200, we'd have killed antelope all day. Uh, maybe it's 150. If we could comfortably kill antelope at 150 with a muzzleloader, because antelope are smaller than deer and way smaller than elk, uh, I think that'd be that'd be kind of the, the like 150 is very doable. 100, like I, I don't know how you would kill antelope in that unit with a bow. I, I just have no idea other than sitting on water. That's the only way. And like you're going to wait every single day and hope one comes in and sweat your balls off like I, I don't i have no idea how people like without tall grass or sage how they kill fucking antelope with bows maybe maybe a decoy if if it worked but i mean that's maybe. i don't know yeah it's I, I gotta be honest man i don't i don't really well fuck you know i've we talked about it ad nauseum i don't i don't enjoy muzzle litters at all i never have i just I, they're not they're just not fun uh, they're not fun to shoot. They're not fun to clean. They're not fun to maintain. Um, it's not my, I, you know, we've talked about it with whitetail. Like I'm, I'm going to bow hunt during muzzleloader season from now on, just because I enjoy bow hunting so much more. Um, but to your point, Carter, uh, a minute ago, the barrier for entry with antelope is, is pretty low. And I, you know, you're right. I'm definitely hooked. I don't know that I'll do an antelope trip every single year, although I'll probably put in for um, an antelope tag every single year somewhere, whether it's Wyoming or Colorado or, or, you know, wherever. Um, It's just a fucking lot of fun. The entire time we were out there, man, I just had, you know, 
not the entire time, most of the time out there, I just had this big shitting grin on my face because it's just so different than anything I'd experienced to this point. And uh, if you, you know, if you are out there with a muzzleloader, even in a unit that's not brand new, like this one was probably still going to be a whole lot less pressure. Um, and if, if you want to just go with a rifle, then just start putting in for tags. Um, say it's much higher efficacy. It's not a guarantee. You know, I put in for Wyoming this year to try to go with you guys here in just another fucking week or whatever it is, but, um, that didn't happen, but hopefully it will next year or, you know, at some point in the near future. So say it's a, it's a very doable hunt. Um, kind of get your toes wet in the Western world. Well, let's go ahead and transition over real quick. Uh, we're already past an hour and we'll go ahead and, and roll into after that and what, what's been going on too. Uh, we'll start with Carter and then we can roll it to Derek and then me and Perry can give her kind of talk about early season whitetail, but Carter, where, where have you been uh, looking at with, uh, with your whitetail hunting? Uh, our rifle season opened up yesterday. Um, so I went and sat yesterday. <clears throat> we had a nice cold front come in. Uh, pressure was high, was above 30. Pressure was good, so deer were moving. Um, I uh, sat this evening and saw uh, a doe and some of her fawns come in and feed through my food plots that I talked about on a podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, the, the food plots, uh, they came in fantastic um, with the no-till method. Um, real just gorgeous, lush, uh, and it was really cool to see all those deer feeding through all of them tonight that was, that was really rewarding all that all that uh work i put in because after i after i sprayed everything back there i like with my freaking backpack sprayer luke you're totally right like i'm gonna i'm gonna figure that shit out i almost killed myself trying to do all that just walking carter's still at the point where time is more valuable than money and he's very quickly carter's a couple years younger than perry and i and so he's he's very quickly learning and he's at the same point that Perry and I were as well. And it's like, I'm just going to go ahead and pay the money to save some fucking time. Buy Stop ones, being cheap, ones. homie. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're on two teacher salaries, it's not like <laughs> that's the number one household item that we're going to purchase. So the backpack sprayer. Just after fucking I, rent it, dude. Well, that's what I'll do next time. So after I killed everything, I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? I, I was like, I just killed my entire pasture. Like, this is this is the worst decision I've ever made. Uh, turned out phenomenally and they, they look incredible. So that was really rewarding to see. Um, I've got four, four bucks that I've got my eye on one that I really want to, I'm holding out for this year. So, um, yeah, we're good. Just standing by until the right time. My, my property is really good for late season. So, uh, December seems to be when the big bucks, uh, show up during the daylight and then heading to Wyoming on Friday. So you didn't do any archery hunting this year? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get to it. I'm between coaching two sports. I'm my my weekends are slim. I got Sundays to be with the family and the and the baby. So I'm coaching on you know Fridays and Saturdays with meets and uh, it got away from me. So but now that cross country's winded down, cross country ends next this this Tuesday we have region. So then I'll just be coaching the uh, sporting clay team. So that'll be have a little more time. That uh. That buck you sent me the video of the other day, man, that was, that was a dandy. He was a stud. Yeah, I got, he's, he's, he's a special deer. I got my eye on him. Yeah, got a name really... for him? Uh, yeah, he, a claw. He's got two little crab claws on the end of him. 
Nice. I remember seeing him when he was younger. Yeah, real pretty 10-point. He's. Uh, I hope my neighbor doesn't kill him first. My neighbor tends to shoot the big deer before I do, so... <laughs> We'll Is y'all's happens. rifle always this early? Uh, no, that's I thought it usually starts October twenty one, and I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna." That's still early. Uh, yeah, we have like f- a five month season. It's crazy. It runs till the end of January. Is that is that specific to the region of Georgia that you're in, or is is it because like Not Georgia as a whole, and uh, we're allowed wow. twelve deer, which is bananas. So you're allowed ten does and two bucks. Damn. Yeah, we need to buy some property in Georgia, Luke. Alabama's the same way, dude. It comes in Georgia probably or around until end of February, dude. Yeah, because the rut yeah, doesn't yeah. start till fucking February. Yeah, yeah. So plenty of opportunity. That's why Georgia's got some big fucking deer, dude. I mean, Lyle just retired out of the army. Old uh, anybody's down in West Georgia, East Alabama, and needs a tracking dog. Look up Schmavis. Uh, that dude. His dogs are badass. I used to go on tracks with him. Uh, we were neighbors when I was down at Benning. Uh, just retired out of the Army. Solid dude. He's one of the team members for HLE. And, uh, dude, I mean, he's – one, he kills good deer. But then, I mean, obviously with him tracking, I mean, there's some fucking toads that him and Zeta find. So, it's – it's there's some big deer in Georgia. I'd be – I'd be about it. Got to get a uh, old Carter's buddy down there with all the maker, acres. I, he actually reached out and said he'd be down for hunts. Did he? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. I'd yeah, that'd be to. great. He's 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 real gracious about hosting. Oh, that'd be awesome. I mean, I don't want to take advantage of anybody, but I mean, it would be really cool if uh, you know we got the opportunity to go down there and and do a hunt. And even if it was just does, just going down there and hanging out. I mean, we're we're all about it. Uh, meet new folks. So, but yeah, what about you, Derek? You done any hunting yet, or are you waiting until rifle comes in? Or are you going to hunt in Florida, or just wait for West Virginia? What's your deal? Uh, yeah, I've been I've been hunting in Florida a little bit. Uh, I kind of cut my bow season short before it ever started when I broke my fucking hand. Um, so I didn't uh, I didn't I didn't get to go out right as it opened up. Um, so I've been out a couple times, and it was really cool this season because this is the first time that I've ever got to actually hunt my own land. Um, so like everywhere else has either been like public land or you know you know some place that was giving me access so this was the first time that i've actually hunted something that i owned which was a cool experience how many acres do you have down, down there i've got 18 but i'd say there's probably only about now eight to nine that are actually like huntable acres with with uh with woods the rest is kind of like open pasture ish sounds like you need to talk to perry and carter about some no-till food plots I actually uh, am thinking about that for next year for sure. Highly recommend. Yeah. What's you, Perry? Let's hear uh, how your season whitetail has gone so far. Yeah, it's been uh, kind of funny. It's been a little bit weird. Um, I started off my first sit and saw uh, had an encounter with a, a pretty decent eight pointer at like seven forty five in the morning. That was up at our family farm in Virginia. Probably not a deer that I would have shot. Uh, I didn't get a great look at him. I think from uh, the trail cam pictures that that we've been going through, I think I know which buck he was, although I'm not 100% sure. Um, Like I said, I didn't get a a great look at him. I don't think I would have shot him had he presented a shot, Um, but it was cool to see uh, see him first thing, my first sit out. and then I sat the rest of that day, the following weekend, didn't see shit. 
uh, literally nothing. Uh, we had bow camp up at the the farm. Um, what was it last weekend, Luke? And yes, yeah, it was. Like yeah, it was fucking par for the course, man. Hot and rainy, which has just been the. Well, last year it was kind of cold and rainy. Um, this year it was it was warm and rainy, which pretty much sucked. Um, a couple of guys killed does, so I mean it wasn't a total bust. We we still had a good time. Um, I've spent the past couple of days hunting uh, one of these uh, land trust properties. Um, we talked a little bit about that in a previous episode, um, which was also really slow up until uh, five minutes before shooting light last night. I actually drew back on a, a, a decent buck. Um, I was out there all day Friday. It was fucking hot as shit. Sweating my ass off, feeling like I was just blowing out every deer in the country because I was sweating and stinking up so much, um, hiking around this property. Didn't see anything. Hunted all day yesterday, didn't see anything. And five minutes before light, um, ended up seeing a, a decent buck. Um, again, not exactly sure what he was, but this was a, you know, this is a, a property that I have access to for one week of the year. Um, he was probably a two and a half year old eight pointer, uh, maybe, maybe seven pointer or something like that. Um, I definitely would have shot him. Um, I needed him to take one more step. Um, he was in this little, uh, <laughs> this little trail, this little path they had mowed through the woods. Um, and I was actually on, on the ground. I was actually walking back. I got down out of my tree early cause it was fucking windy as hell yesterday. Um, and the deer were just not moving where I was. I was kind of up on top of a ridge. It's a really good spot. Found some fresh sign up there, but just nothing was happening. And I was like, I'm just going to hop down. Uh, glad I did. I was walking this little path back through the woods. Um, there was this buck out feeding in this path. that was kind of some mowed, um, just weeds and grasses and, and shit. And he was out there. Um, didn't see me kind of ambled off into the woods. Um, I kind of crept up on him. Got my uh, got my release hooked in and everything. Um, didn't have my rangefinder. Didn't even have an opportunity to range. He kind of came back into this trail. I drew back. Um, I just needed him to take another step or two, and uh, two at most. And he uh, he fucking looked right at me, busted me, and got out of there. And this was literally right, you know, a few minutes later. Was I would not have been comfortable taking the shot. So. Um, Started out, started out with a buck encounter, uh, had a buck encounter last night. Um, and between that was a whole lot of nothing. So hopefully this week is, is better. We had that cold front Carter, um, like I said, that came through. So temperatures this week are looking a little better. Um, still got a busy ass week with work, so I'm not sure how much I'm going to be able to get out, but I've got access on the next property with this land trust deal for this week. It's a little further away. So it'll be a little bit more travel time but I'm still going to get out there. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. That's always tough. Not one more step. That's uh, that's bow hunting. It's fucking frustrating. Uh, that's a yep. good kind of segue into to my season so far for whitetails. So I showed up for bow camp. Uh, as my first year hunting out of the saddle. I get set up on the, for an evening hunt. I have uh, two yearling does come in. I watch them. I mean, I have them. I got some cool videos and shit. I mean, I watch these things for two hours. Very close by the end of just fucking hammering one of them. Just out of just boredom. Um, I, I got to the point where I didn't give a fuck. Like, I was just like fucking with my phone, like drinking water. Like the yearlings are just stupid. Uh, they were hitting that food plot that uh, we put in uh, a while back, which is a great doe killing place. Both the, um, or we killed 
one of the guys killed a doe there later, but I didn't get to hunt the next morning due to a comedy of errors. Got out for the morning hunt, which I, I really don't love hunting mornings in October anyways. I think it's, if you're hunting bucks, it's counterproductive. Um, if you want to hunt food and try to kill does in the morning, like do it. But if you're trying to kill horns, you're going to do more damage uh, just getting them in the mornings. It's just hard to get them in their beds. I think in October, you got to hunt them in their beds. And so even hunts are where it's at. And I, um, but anyways, I got to the where I was going to hunt, which is the same food plot. I had to take a shit. <laughs> real bad so i had to run back down the i didn't bring wipes or toilet paper or anything so i had to run back down the ridge get to the old outhouse by the cabin took a shit and was thinking the night before that like um i like half drunkenly took a shot with my bow and i was like you know what like it was a little bit to the right and was that because i was like drinking or is that like and i and my i already had issues with my zero so i shot again and come to find out i had bumped my rest i didn't tighten it all the way back the um arrow rest and so i had to re-zero my shit again that morning then i saw some turkeys went and stalked some turkeys didn't get it done um got to 73 yards on the turks and then they they busted me and booked out of there and by that time i was like fuck it i'm going back to sleep about 10 a.m <laughs> and uh, so my morning was shot that evening john's been an early adopter and been doing it for a while the hunting beast tactics dan and fault if folks aren't familiar um just old school guy very salt of the earth, kills a lot of big bucks all the time. And it's very aggressive tactics, finding where they're bedding, getting them in the beds, especially in October uh, when the wind's right. And so there's a buck that we have Perry and I and Evan, but really Perry and I have some history with. Uh, he named it, you know, you know, describe the name of this buck, Perry. Yeah. So last year, which was the first year, you know, we've talked about that I really kind of got into the, the trail cams on the property started seeing this this buck uh predominantly up on this corner of the property that we call the oak ridge um kind of a steep ridge near the or on the property line um hardwoods oaks hickories kind of deal and uh there's some some thick stuff up in there as well very steep you know just kind of looks like one of those places you would expect a buck to bed and he started showing up um sure enough <laughs> last year he was he was a 10 pointer um we saw him in velvet for the first time we we're like man um looks like a pretty decent buck he didn't look super old he's probably only a three and a half year old buck last year at most he may have even been a two and a half year old 10 pointer um which was kind of kind of crazy did not look like an old deer at all but uh the funny thing about it was it was a little bit you could kind of tell when he was in velvet i mean you, you could tell but when he when he lost his velvet and went hardhorn last year, it was really obvious just how um, he was super wide, but very short. His tines were just super short. G2, G3. I mean, <laughs> we're talking like a couple of inches. They, you know, I mean, not not tall at all. So I, uh, I affectionately nicknamed him the Luke Buck because he was a uh, short and wide. Um, so ended up getting a ton of pictures of him last year. Kind of felt like we had him patterned pretty well. Um, he made it through the year, saw him again this year during the summer on some cameras, um, had grown a decent amount, still a 10 pointer, which was interesting. Um, still very wide, had gotten a little bit taller and a little bit heavier, um, but still much wider than he is tall. So, uh, the Luke name, the Luke moniker still fitting. Using these, these tactics, right? I went and I looked for buck beds last year at the end of the season, uh, walked, the entire that corner of the property that we really don't go up 
past a certain point very often. And I thought I figured out where the bedding was. And based on that bedding, based on the wind, based on everything that was going on, where the thermals were, I was like, okay, I'm going to hunt this. Like, this is the fucking time. And it's my first, like, real go at using these really aggressive tactics to get some uh, buck in the bed. And in October, like, historically, we have not seen very many bucks. We just don't see a lot of bucks in October because they, you know, you hear about the October lull. Really what's going on is they're, they're moving from bed to food. And if you've got hardwoods and there's a lot of acorns, they're moving. They're not coming out. They're not going to hunt. The, they're not going to come out on the field edges. They're going to be solely um, staying in the timber during daylight hours. And so you got to get really close to their beds to catch them right there at last light. And so that's, that's what I did. Moved in and I was sitting there and I think last shooting light legally was 7.30 and the timber with a bow, it really was about 7.10. And so at 6.30, 6.25, I saw a really, I saw, so a doe moved through and then a nice little eight pointer that will be a really nice deer in the future came out and I watched him for a while. I had shots on him for a long time, which is cool. Um, and I was hoping I was in the tree saddle and I was, I was super stoked. I was like, okay, where he came out, let's see. Okay, and then later I had another eight pointer. I'm, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, those are the satellite bucks. Hopefully, we got the, you know, Luke's coming out. He's the dominant buck in, in the area. So he's going to be in the dominant bedding. He's probably going to be the one last one to come out as well. well. Sure enough, he comes out. Now, he didn't go the path that I expected him to go. He actually, like, J hooked around me. And I think he might have saw me move at one point. I did, and that might have been why he changed his uh, trajectory. But where I had planned on killing him was exactly where my wind was going. And uh, it was at 15 yards. And so he comes around. I watch him for a long time. I start to twist in the saddle, and it's a shot that's directly behind me. And so I twist with the tethered line going under my arm, and he's walking. I've got him at 23 yards, but there's, like, a sapling in the way, so I can't shoot him. And he's kind of head on. And there's a small tree, and as soon as he got to that tree and got his head in front of it, I planned on drawing, being at full draw, and then let him walk into the 15-yard mark and kill him. And I was – I mean, it was crazy. Like, it just worked. Like, it was right there, nice 10-pointer, fucking – like, seeing him in person, like, he was wide. Like, he's going to be the biggest deer I've ever killed. But I'm fucking – as I turn, and I'm waiting to draw, and I kind of get the tension on my release on the string, and I shift just enough to try to get, like, in the perfect shooting position – my platform on the saddle shifts, bangs the tree, and fucking spooks him. And he does a hard, like, straightens his legs, blows, and then runs back up the ridge. Still looks at me, and I'm like, fuck. So I grabbed the grunt call. I mean, it's way too early for grunting, but it was like a Hail Mary. Like, maybe I can get him curious, and I threw two grunts out, and then he fucking took off. And I've dreamed about that, like, six times. Like, fuck. So goddamn, like I did everything right up until the final execution of, you know, the shot. And it's because I was in a rush because I was kind of a little late intentionally, but still a little because I, I knew with the thermal I needed to get into the stand late. So I didn't get into the stand until about 435. Um, so I didn't want my thermal to go the wrong way. So I wanted to make sure the wind had shifted. And so I kind of rushed. I didn't tighten my platform all the way down. And I knew it was fucked up the whole time I was sitting there and I tried to like half-ass tighten it, but I just didn't fix it. And that's what fucked me. And it's a heartbreaker. Heartbreaking. Am I the only one that's pissed off that you didn't name this deer the Oak Ridge boy? 
<laughs> Dude, the I didn't even think of that. <laughs> that's genius. If you saw this buck, though, man, you'd be like, "Yeah, that's the Luke buck, man. He's he's short and wide. Like this 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 deer should not be as short as he is for as wide as he is." <laughs> no, when you see him in person, too, like you're like, like at first when I saw him, I didn't think he was that big of a deer because like his fucking. If you see him from the side, it's not yeah. that impressive because you're like, yeah, but then he turns. If you see him like head on or like facing directly away, you're like, holy shit, he's wild. I mean, he's like a probably a 20 inch spread at least. Like, he, he's a good deer for especially where we're from, right? Like, we're not fucking hunting Iowa, like southwestern Virginia is. He was a great deer for our property and he would have been a great deer for me. Uh, but you know what? He's still out there and hopefully he keeps going. Uh, I'm going to try, I'll try again at him in late season um, if Perry or Evan doesn't kill him during the rut. Or James. James will probably kill him because yeah, James, James, James is the luckiest, luckiest, luckiest hunter on the fucking planet. So, but no, it's, it was awesome. It was cool. And in one, one regard, it was really frustrating, right? Because I, you know, I was there, but it was also really cool to apply these tactics and lessons learned um, that I've been studying for the past couple of years and like actually finally have the opportunity to apply them in October. And then they worked. Like I saw three bucks, two eight pointers. That will be shooters in years to come, and then one shooter buck um, in one day. And I can't tell you outside of the rut the last time I saw three bucks on that property. Um, definitely not in October. So it, it was really cool to see, and it was a really great experience. It didn't come together, but um, it's been a fun hunting season so far. Uh, it's been it's been tough. A lot of missed opportunities from antelope to whitetail, but I'm feeling good going into Wyoming. Here in a, in a bit, as far as my antelope buck tag and my muley buck tag, uh, it's going to be a good time. I'm excited. Yeah, that's probably a good place to wrap this one up. Um, when do you boys head out? I'll be there Friday. Hell yeah. I'm going to leave here uh, Wednesday morning about 3 a.m. Um, get up there before oh. everybody else so I can get first dibs on all the good betting spots. You know what I mean? <laughs> all right. There's, uh, there's knives you get there Tuesday. So hopefully, uh, get the get some blood on them yeah i'm really excited about that for those that don't know and haven't seen it on instagram uh derek and i partnered up um it's been a project going on for two seasons now uh, he made the first prototype last year it was a great knife there's just a couple little tweaks as far as um how we're kind of positioning the gut hook on it and uh by the looks of it i think i think it's there we'll see i'm gonna put it to hopefully i put it to good use in wyoming and i'll hand it off to all the boys as they kill as well and we'll try to get a lot of blood on it. But uh, the HLE Stand 2 Blade uh, Company Knife is going to be pretty badass. Um, great skinner. looks to be a great skinner, great gutter, and probably you know even be good for boning out. So uh, that should be available hopefully in the next uh, month or so. Have to come up for a name with it. It's been fun, boys. It's been fun getting back on here. It's, been, it's great to catch up, and I appreciate the hell out of all you guys. Uh, but Carter and Derek, I really appreciate the help because, you know, you guys are huge. Uh, Perry just comes on here and babbles. But it's it's going to be cool going forward. I'm excited as hell uh, for everything we've got in the works. The team members, we've got a great group of guys and, and gal uh, with Ashley who have really uh, started to take uh, more of a front row seat and more of a direct role in the company, which I think is going to be even better because obviously if I'm the single point of failure, there's a problem because I'm pretty limited anyways. So we're just going to get better and better as we go. Um, but we'll go ahead and wrap this one up and, and roll through closing comments. Uh, Derek, why don't you start us off? 
Uh, yeah, I don't really have anything, dude. Um, I covered all my shit. I'm looking forward to this uh, this hunt in third rifle season in, in Colorado. So hopefully, we, you and I can get together when I head out there. Um, maybe do a podcast live there. And um, that's really all I've got planned coming up. Hell yeah, dude! I hope so too. It'll be good to, to crack a beer in person and and hopefully record one of these. What do you got, Carter? I'm just looking forward to getting back a regular schedule with the podcast and having a more of a hand in everything that's going on with the company. And hopefully we get some deer down in the next week and uh, maybe we can try a record a podcast from the field after we've smacked a bunch of muleys. Yeah, that's uh, that's the dream. I, I'm going to bring all the shit and uh, hopefully we can definitely record a couple episodes. Uh, speaking of putting deer on the ground, shout out to Caleb. Uh, one of our team members just killed his first, uh, first uh, mule deer out in Idaho, not Iowa, Jesus. And kind of a funny story. We'll get him on the podcast to talk about that at some point. But it was uh, it was pretty cool. It was cool to watch his kind of journey in, in Idaho. He's still got a couple more tags. I think he has a black bear and an elk tag. Plans on hunting for like another week or so. So hopefully he can tag those out as well. But pretty badass. Good job, Caleb. But Amazing there, what happens uh, when you when you get out of the truck. Yeah. Fucker was driving around like, I don't see any mules here. I was like, well, park the truck, get out, and start walking. <laughs> Anyways, Perry, what do you got? Yeah, you can apply some of those same lessons from the antelope to other species. Funny how that works. Um, no, nah, shout out to Caleb. That was awesome, man. I was fucking stoked for him. Um, hope y'all lay the hammer down on some muleys out there as well. And I, and, uh, in uh, Wyoming looking forward to hearing how that's going and yeah um fucking pumped this hunting season uh it's here um glad to have Carter and and Derek taking the range on some of this podcast shit like I say now I just get to worry about coming on every once in a while and babbling a little bit it'll be nice um yeah isn't that all I'm, you've been doing that's all I've been doing that's all 100%. I'm going to continue to do literally done zero work yeah. that's 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 the dream man that's living the dream right here he's just the talent you know he just shows up and executes that's right fucking lucky you can actually turn on a computer i guess so get what you get yeah every once in a while i manage to get this thing on well yeah um all i got is just i appreciate the hell out of everybody um it just continues to blow me away the sales everything else like, we're just continuing to grow at a rate that has uh, been hard for me to manage um, we've got a lot of new content coming out. We've got some new programs dropping. So definitely be on the lookout for those if you like our programming uh, from Pete. We've got Ashley's taking a more central role in programming as well. So she's going to be working on some programs that are very female specific. Um, and she's also going to do a lot of our nutrition programming, which is going to be good. Uh, she's got a little more experience with that than, than Pete does as he's continuing to learn the nutrition piece. So uh, we're really excited for everything we have to offer going forward. Um, and as always, we just really appreciate the hell out of every single one of you. So thank you so much.